Welcome to the Create Something Awesome Today podcast, where it's all about educating and motivating creative pros and entrepreneurs from around the world with simple and easy to implement ideas. And of course, helping you create something awesome today. And now, welcome your host. He is the founder of Founder of Awesome Creator Academy, a YouTube educator, and the biggest Star Wars nerd you'll ever meet, Roberto Blake. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the Create Something Awesome Today podcast. This is your host, Roberto Blake, helping you create something awesome today. Welcome back. So this is another one of those late night editions of the podcast. I think we're going to be able to successfully do this thing Monday through Fridays for a little bit. So I think that this is the 12th podcast in the entire month of December as we close out the year sprinting to the end 2021 going into 2022. And so uh, tonight, I want to kind of talk about uh, some things that have been on my mind. I want to talk to you about what the full experience is like uh, being a YouTuber with a larger channel. There are a lot of you, you want to do YouTube. uh, If you're listening to this program, or you're watching the podcast, whether you're in the live audience or watching the replay, there's a good chance you want to do YouTube in some capacity. You either want to do it as a hobby, a side hustle, maybe you hope to do YouTube full time. I know a lot of you, whether you want to admit it or not, you're dreaming and fantasizing about having uh, that silver play button that's over. Well, actually, I could point either way because I have both versions of it. But um, you you might be dreaming of having a silver play button and uh, getting to 100,000 subscribers. And so a lot of you may not know this. My main YouTube channel has over 540 subscribers. 540,000 subscribers. Why did I say 540? 540,000 subscribers right now. And I've been doing YouTube for a very long time. So I can speak to the experience of, you know, having an established YouTube channel, doing it for a number of years. I think I have a total of 34 million views. You know, I actually deleted over a million, maybe 2 million views from the channel. I'll talk about that a little bit later. Uh, So definitely stay tuned for the program of why I deleted 2 million views. Um, But, you know, I've been doing this for a very long time. I started doing it seriously with the intent of growing an audience in summer of 2013. Now, when I say growing an audience, uh, I was only thinking maybe, you know, uh, 10,000 subscribers within the course of like two or three years. That's not what happened. I got to 10,000 subscribers within about 11 months. And in the course of three years, I got to 100,000 subscribers. I got to 100,000 subscribers in, is it April or May of 2016? It was either April or May of 2016. I want to say it was the end of April. So I got my silver play button right before my birthday in June. And so that was in 2016. So for me, that was like five or six years ago. And so uh, for most of the years after that, I successively grew by another 100,000, another 100,000, another 100,000. But then, um, as you all know, in 2020, uh, the illness happened. And so the last two years of YouTube had been very different for me, not only from a growth perspective, but from a, you know, a work-life balance perspective. And so it's radically, radically different. You know, I didn't become growth focused anymore on my channel and it became uh, maintenance mode and it became harder and harder to make videos because 
uh, things in life just kept on happening. And I think a lot of you understand that. I think a lot of you, um, 2020 and 2021, a lot of you understand that these last two years have been a setback in life for a lot of people, for a lot of us in different ways and for different reasons. Uh, but for me, the last two years have probably been two of the hardest years on my mental health. And so they are also the two years that I probably have uploaded the least amount of content to my YouTube channels um, since 2023. Like it's the least amount of YouTube content that I've made since back in 2020, sorry, 20, uh, why did I say 2023? Getting ahead of myself, 2013. 2023 isn't here yet. Oh God, please no, not 2023, not yet. Uh, I still gotta get through 2022. But yeah, since uh, 2013, I had a consistent upload schedule for a very long time. Uh, for two years, I uploaded at least one video a week, at least one video a week for two years. Then uh, for another two years and some change, I went basically daily. I went basically daily. That's why on my main channel, over the course of eight years, I ended up making about 1,500 videos. Now, I've since like um, unlisted a lot of videos that were just like irrelevant at this point <clears throat> but that was a lot so you know it took me three years to become an established channel yes i am live um it took me three years to become a really really established channel 100,000 subscribers and the thing is that's relatively quick most youtubers that takes them five years or seven years to do if they do it at all ever um, ever now there's some people in that same time they'll go to a million but their channel might be different it's um it's whatever i think i still have a lot of growth potential i think uh my channel can definitely still grow i don't do everything to grow my channel that's the other thing you have to understand i started doing um youtube consistently at age 27 no sorry not 27 sorry age 28 age 28 age 29 i'm 37 now 37 now in 2022 i will be in 2022 i'll be 38 so big numbers getting up there and again that's not super old or anything by any stretch of the imagination but it is something that makes a, a big difference because the the most of the youtubers today start their career in their teenage years even when I was doing YouTube at the very beginning, most of the people in the YouTube space were either in their teenage years or in their early 20s, in their early 20s, if not in their late teens. So the thing is, when you're doing things as a content creator and you basically start doing content creation at age 30, having a long career hits a little bit differently. It hits a little bit differently because you know, you're going through a very different season of life than a young creator. With young creators, they have just unlimited upside to everything in life. There's nothing but, you know, sky's the limit. There's nothing but unlimited potential, unlimited upside, and they haven't uh, peaked physically or anything like that yet. So, Young creators have a, an advantage in terms of, uh, and again, everyone's life situation is different, but we're just talking in generalities here. Admittedly, we're talking in generalities. Young creators have usually the advantage of an abundance of energy, a lack of responsibilities, and possibly a lot more time freedom. 
and they haven't hit their physical prime yet, let alone their physical peak. Now, me, I am still in my prime. I have not fully hit my peak yet, but I'm reaching the, you know, the last bit of that cycle as I get older. And so you have to really consider, even if you work out, you're healthy, you do all the things, as you get older, your life just changes. Not only does it change in terms of your energy, but also your mental health, your mental capacity, your emotional um, state. And there's a lot going on there because you're also in a different season of life where your priorities, your wants, your needs and desires are changing. And then also looking at YouTube differently when you're a young person, YouTube is this fun, really exciting thing. And it can be that way even if you're older compared to your regular job. But once you've done anything for more than five years, once you've done anything um, that's challenging uh, for more than five years, six years, and you're doing it like you're reaching into almost 10 years of doing something, once you're reaching into almost 10 years of doing something in a very consistent way, you can fall out of love with it. Uh, you can fall out of love with it, or you might change your relationship with it. You might still love it. You might still like it, but it may not be something where that passion is burning as hot as it was a decade before. And so it's not the same thing as saying, oh, you're burnt out. It's literally just a matter of the fact that, you know, I've been on YouTube for a long, long time. I've, I, I actually even, um, even though I didn't take it seriously until 2013, I've been on YouTube since the beginning, since 20, sorry, 2006, 2005, 2006. So I've been around YouTube since the very beginning. So it's been a very long time. Now, when you think about that and you look at all the changes you see in YouTube, um, it becomes harder to be very, very excited about things sometimes, even if you like the content, even if you like what you're doing, especially when you get to a point to where what happens to bigger YouTubers, and this has been happening to friends of mine, they've made videos about this. What happens to larger YouTubers is YouTube um, stops being as much fun because it becomes work and it's fun work, it's rewarding work, it's not, you know, oh, it's not backbreaking physical labor as, as people like to point out, sure. But YouTube becomes mentally and emotionally draining for a larger content creator because it's not, it, one, those of you who may be familiar already know it's not just making content. It's not just making content, it's not just making videos. And by that token, editing videos becomes like a slog fest like editing videos becomes this crucible if you do it a thousand times there's probably no human being who's as excited to do something time number 2000 as they were time number 20 when it was still fresh and new to them so doing anything 1000 to 2000 times it starts to feel and it starts to get a little bit old and so you, you can find yourself in a position where the prospect of doing that is not what it once was in terms of holding any excitement. And it just starts to feel like a bit of a chore. Now, what a lot of YouTubers do to get around this is they'll hire a video editor and that'll take that away. And then they can do the part they like making the video, coming up with the ideas, crafting the content. But here's the other thing. 
there's the pressure to make a successful video. When you become a YouTuber, um, after you get 100,000 subscribers and after you get your silver play button and after um, the warm and fuzzies from that wears off, you kind of start to realize that you have two options. You can strive to get a gold play button and a million subscribers, which is what most YouTubers try to do, especially most young YouTubers, or you can start to realize that that's not necessarily going to make your making your content more satisfying or make it happier for you to do what it takes. Because once you realize what it takes to get silver play button and get 100,000 subscribers, you start to realize, well, well, what does it take to get to a million? And then you realize you have to um, somehow conjure up 10 times the results you already did. And even if you could manage it, even if you were in some position to say, you know what that could look like, um, in three to five years, and even if you can't with a plan to do that, you're still doing something incredibly hard and challenging yourself in an arena where the level of difficulty and challenge may not be astronomical, but the ability to stay interested, invested, motivated, and consistent will be the real challenge there. It's something where you also have a certain amount of a lack of control and then you will always feel the pressure to perform. And so what happens after you get 100,000 subscribers is you begin to feel yourself feeling the burden and the pressure of what's called performance anxiety. You start to feel a lot more judged. You feel this possibly, by the way, after you get 10,000 subscribers. After you get 10,000 subscribers, you'll start feeling the weight of judgment. You'll start feeling the weight of comments. You'll certainly feel it at 50,000 when people are egging you on to go to 100,000 and people are asking you, oh, are you going to go full-time or this is happening or is this your full-time job now? And so once you're at 100,000, you'll feel the pressure of maybe, even if it doesn't make financial sense yet, you'll feel the temptation to leave your full-time job, your full-time gig and do YouTube full-time and commit to it. The temptation will be there if you got a silver play button to go after a gold play button. So there's... um a lot of pressure that comes from this, just like any other job. And people don't realize that except for there's a difference. When you do any other job, you don't risk failing in public in front of hundreds or thousands of people. You typically also don't deal with criticism about every part of your life or your appearance, your voice, or what you're doing. It You don't get that in most jobs and careers. In most jobs and careers, you do not have to take criticism from hundreds or thousands of strangers every week or every month. And so people discount or disregard the impact that that has mentally and emotionally on your capacity to do work and not feel performance anxiety. And also that, um, you know, when you have particularly harsh comments enough times, it can start to weigh on you. And people say, oh, well, they just get a thick skin or do that. But it's like people only say that if they haven't lived it. They only say that if they haven't lived it. And again, I haven't had it nearly as bad as most people. I've actually had a pretty undramatic career. I've, I've had a career that's lacked a lot of drama and it's lacked a lot of conflict, which is very rare to have a near decade career with very few conflicts and very few 
uh, beefs, feuds, rivalries, or uh, having made very few enemies. It's very, very rare in this industry and in this space to do that. Now, with that being said, <clears throat> YouTube and one of the most difficult things is like I was telling you a moment ago, you risk failing in public every time you hit publish. And so the ability to continue to do that is a massive mental health challenge and it's a massive amount of uh, commitment and courage that it takes to keep showing up and to keep doing that and to keep pushing forward. It's not easy, which is why I always tell people that this may not be for them. This is not necessarily, this is accepted and welcoming and available to all, but it's not necessarily suited to everyone. It's not necessarily suited to everybody. There is a temperament that is necessary to be able to navigate and to um, have a career where you have to be willing to risk um, failing in public. And so there's a level of maturity that goes with that. There's a level of being able to be stoic about it in the face of difficulties. There is the ability to be able to sit back and not necessarily be reactive or emotional about every aspect of it. While still sorting through and feeling your feelings, you have to actually learn how not to let them dominate every aspect of what you're, you know, what you're doing. And so when you, when you think about it, YouTube and succeeding on YouTube is more than just being able to craft perfect tiles and thumbnails. That's certainly important. Being able to edit videos that get watch time and average view duration, being able to perform in front of a live audience. But the reality is that there are qualifiers to being a YouTuber. Now, someone said that it's not for insecure people. No, I disagree. Most YouTubers that I know, they're in the entertainment space. They do a good job of having a brave face. They do a good job of not responding to criticism. Most big YouTubers I know, whether they have 100,000, a million people I know with 5 and 10 million, like as human beings, they actually are insecure. They're insecure. A lot of them are introverted. A lot of them really care and are very invested in what people think about them. You know? And so don't mistake what you see on camera when these you know people are doing their job for how they actually feel or don't mistake what you see when they're doing their job for them not being insecure or not being nervous don't mistake them from being these extroverted hyper charismatic people and i'm not saying that's fake or that's a facade i'm saying that's their job that's their job do not mistake how somebody does their job for what they're going through. Cause that's the difference. You see, that's what part of what I mean is that a lot of people will look at a YouTuber, a content creator, and they will make a lot of assumptions and they will make a lot of assertions and they'll make a lot of judgments based on what they see versus what they don't. And the thing is, it's not about some contrived thing. It's not about 
them um, in any way misleading the audience. It's about the fact that there's a boundary called a screen that sits between you and a content creator. You can see what they're showing you, but you can't know how they feel. And you can't know who they are. Not really, not past a certain point, because again, they're not showing you anything that isn't real. It's just that there's more to it. There's a depth that you aren't allowed to access because you're not in their life. You know, you, you can't know somebody without really participating in their life just because you're participating in an aspect of their life. You're participating in an aspect of your life. Right now, some of you, you work a nine-to-five job. Your coworkers don't know what it's like to live with you. They have an impression of you that's based on how you do your job. They have no idea what it's like to live with you. They have no idea what it's like to date you. They have no clue. Your friends that you hang out with, they have a different relationship with you than the people who grew up with you. They have a different relationship with you than your family. Your, your church community, they don't know what it's like to live with you. So you have to understand that content creators deal with the pressure of disappointing their audience because there's a part of the relationship where they don't get to see the other side. And the thing is, a lot of times if they do see the other side, they can feel, well, that's not, you know, what I believe about you. Because the thing is, when you don't see all of what a person's day-to-day -day life is, you make up and fill up the blanks in your own head. And when you decide to make assumptions and you put together your own head canon about who people are, you can only ever be disappointed with them. So there's a ticking clock when it comes to content creators before in some way, shape, or form, they disappoint the audience and they know that. And so there's a difference because again, these are not you know, your real life friends. These are not your real life family. You do not see the other depths and dimensions of what it's like to interact with them in different scenarios and different things. And people build these parasocial relationships in their head where they have a fantasy of who somebody is. And it's not someone's fault when they don't live up to expectations that you decided to put on them without their consent. And that's just one aspect of it. And that's just one aspect of it. And this is because people no longer understand boundaries in a culture of oversharing everything, of oversharing everything. Even in general, like I said, about judging someone how, by how they do their job, the other part of that is when you make things look easy, people believe that you're entitled and that you're spoiled. Uh, people think that your job is easy because they've never had to do it. And many of you have probably tried to explain what doing YouTube is or doing TikTok or doing a podcast is to your friends and family. And again, they probably don't think it's that hard and they like to romanticize the difficulty of the work that they do. But if you put them sit there in the editing chair, they'd feel overwhelmed and they'd feel and feel really embarrassed about having to ask so many questions, and not being able to do something. It's actually legitimately hard work. It's a different type of hard. It's a different type of hard. And the thing is, any other job that's not a specialized skill thing that you needed a, like a four-year degree for, you might be able to learn another job in like 30, 60, maybe even 90 days. I don't think it's possible to truly be able to do exactly what a content creator does from scratch and repeat their process with 30 days of on-the-job training. I think it's too challenging, and I think it's too varied to do that because you have to learn thumbnails titles, SEO, video editing, navigating an audience, performing on camera, just learning camera settings can be overwhelming for people. So there's like a lot of these, 
like if I were to make, I'm going to make a video about this at some point, but if I had to write out the job requirements for being a YouTuber, it's like a really long list. It's like a really long list. Like just training you to use a camera properly, truly use a camera properly could be weeks. It could be tens of hours. It could be, you could put in a hundred hours before you ever learn how to properly use a camera. You could put in a hundred hours and still be trash at using a camera. Just think about that. Editing software. If you ain't put a thousand hours into editing software, you ain't learned it yet to be very real with you. If you haven't put a thousand hours into a video editing software, you have not learned it yet. <laughs> you are still bumbling through it. If you have not put a thousand hours into a video editing software. And that's just real. And that's just one of the things you would have to do. Learning video editing is one thing. Learning how to properly, learning how to fix your audio if you screw it up. That's a that's fun. That's really fun. Um, learning how to make proper like thumbnails. Learning how to write proper titles and headlines. Learning when not to respond to comments. Learning how to deal with haters. There's a lot. There's a lot that goes into it. And learning how to deal with people in public. Like, there's just so much that people don't understand happens when the camera goes off. It, it just the just the lighting. You realize someone has an entire career that just on learning lighting, you know, that being a, a grip on a, a television set, a key set, you would learn this and you would learn the skill set behind proper lighting alone. Audio engineer, video editor, those are jobs by themselves. And then you have to be self-motivated. You don't have somebody to give you a to-do list. You don't have somebody to give you a, you know, a training guide, so to speak. I mean, aside from my content, you know, there's, there's not really an on-the-job manual for doing this. There's not a college course for doing this. And even if there was a college course, it'd probably be a bad one because they wouldn't have been a content creator themselves. So there's that. So so that's just the general part of being a YouTuber. Let's say you accomplish all of that. Let's say you accomplish all of that. You succeed. You're making like $50,000 a year. You leave your job. You're a full-time YouTuber. You got your silver play button. Now you have this really difficult choice. Do you keep making content with the hopes of growing the channel or do you settle into making content you like even if it doesn't grow as much? Or do you make content that is like going to make you the money you need to live? Like, what do you do? What do you do? Do you make content with the idea of, okay, I need to make this money because now this is a full-time job. I got to make rent if the videos don't perform. So now you have this added performing anxiety, performance anxiety because now if your content doesn't do well, it's, the end, it's literally the end of the world at that point, right? So now if your content doesn't do well, it's the end of the world because you have a financial obligation to be successful. Now- it's not about your creativity. It's not about what you want to make. It's about, okay, you have to get the videos to perform because you have to make money. But then also you're being judged because now it's like if your channel's not growing, people are going to tell you that your channel's not growing and that you fell off or that your channel is dying. And that's going to get into your head. And then you're going to see your stats and analytics 
And those stats and analytics are going to affect your mental health. Seeing the bank account go down affects your mental health. There's just way, way too many different variables there. And so when you wonder why do some YouTubers quit or why do some people not do YouTube full-time even if their channel gets big or why they do other things outside of YouTube, these are the reasons why. These are the reasons why. This is why I didn't even go all in on YouTube. I haven't even gone all in on YouTube. I still run my coaching business, Awesome Creator Academy. Thank God that business does well. It's a $100,000 business. Um, I took on sponsors to definitely help with offsetting the performance of content and videos. I've um, done other things outside of YouTube to build revenue, like recurring affiliate marketing um, you know, commissions that would definitely cover my cost of living to offset the things. That's why I can even take breaks from YouTube when I need to for my health. And so the problem is <clears throat> that most content creators, even full-time content creators, even big YouTubers, they're not necessarily entrepreneurs first. They're accidental entrepreneurs a lot of time. Me, I went into this with the entrepreneur mindset. <clears throat> I also didn't necessarily get into this purely to have fun, but I will say this, that makes it very difficult. That's why it's harder to make uh, content on the main channel. And by the way, it's why I actually have come to a place, the thing that makes me actually like doing content again is doing the podcast with all of you. I actually, uh, I'll say something that's very controversial. I'm more interested and more excited about my channels that have less than 10,000 subscribers than I am about my channel that has 500,000 subscribers. I enjoy and have more fun and less pressure. And I actually like making content for my channels that have less than 10,000 subscribers a lot more then I like making content for my channel that has 500,000 subscribers because on my 500,000 subscriber channel, I just feel judged all day, every damn day on how well my videos do. Um, every minute of every day, it's in the back of my head, eating away at me that some jackhole who's never done YouTube, never uploaded a video, never made their first 100 pieces of content is gonna judge how my videos perform and it's going to get in my head and it's going to annoy me because I can't sit down with them and read them the riot act of everything they don't know or tell them to screw off or, you know, or, or, or like, you know, lovingly push them into the deep end of a swimming pool, like uh, where, as much as I would like to. And so that is like something that a lot of larger content creators will not admit that our deepest insecurity is being criticized in the way of feeling judged and feeling judged of failing in public and being told that even if we know rationally that people don't know what they're talking about, even if you know rationally that you should be ignoring that, because in my case, a video that people think's underperformed, I'll be real with you, a video that people think underperforms on my channel still might make me somewhere between $300 and $800 on a video that they think failed. I could have a video that gets um, 20,000 views on it. People will say that that's a joke. You can't even get 10,000, 10% of your audience to watch when, first of all, YouTube does not show your videos specifically to your subscribers. So having subscribers doesn't even really help you with views and people don't understand that. They have no idea. 
they have no idea that like having subscribers means nothing to the YouTube algorithm. It means stuff to the YouTube community. It means stuff to the creators. It might even mean something to the brands. The YouTube algorithm does not give a damn how many subscribers you have. It only cares about what it thinks people want to watch the minute you hit published, and that's it. And that's it. The view to sub ratio thing is BS. It's bull. It never was really real. YouTubers made it up. So it doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is like, you know, how well it does. And that's public because the thing that people don't know, just like someone here is mentioning, a video can get 10 or 20,000 views. It can impact thousands of people and it can make you 800 to a thousand dollars but people on the outside don't necessarily know that so they're just judging it based on looking at these numbers and these stats and it's meaningless and this is the thing that i've been trying to get people to understand and i know for example um the like and dislike ratio thing people are convinced that it means more than it does they're absolutely convinced of that and I'm telling you that a lot of these public performing metrics don't mean what people think that they mean. They don't really mean what people think that they mean. There's a lot, there's too many assumptions. Just like people could watch a video and they could assume, oh, well, that must have only taken an hour to make. I know people who you look at a video, you could think, oh, that must have taken one or two or three hours, 50 hours, 60 hours. People have no idea. <clears throat> I know creators that spend 200 hours between them and their team, between them and their team to make one video, just one video. And I'm not even talking Mr. Beast levels. <clears throat> I know people who, if I showed them how little money viral videos make or how many big YouTubers straight up or demonetized. Do you know how many YouTubers I know that get criticized for taking brand deals and people say they sold out when they literally didn't sell out? It's that their videos got rapidly demonetized or a lot of these companies did false copyright claims and stole these creators' money. But I see people getting criticized left and right lately for taking on brand deals but they don't understand a couple of things. First of all, these viral videos that are entertaining typically have the lowest CPM and RP, excuse me, the lowest CPM and RPM rates ever, ever. I'm talking one-tenth or one-twentieth of what I make. I'm telling you, I will tell you flat out, entertainment YouTubers make one-tenth or one-twentieth of what my ad revenue would be. I've seen it with my own eyes. I've talked to my clients about it and we've done a few things to help them out there. But a lot of them, they live and die by the brand deals because, and the membership, the monthly memberships, because their videos either don't make a lot of ad revenue or, or when it does make ad revenue, companies will find a way to claim it and steal it and the creator can dispute it but they also have to risk going to court over it. And the thing is the money gets held up for about roughly 60 to 90 days. So the creator doesn't see that money even when they do get that money. There's a 60 to 90 day delay on it on top of YouTube's regular 30 day delay. So from a cash flow standpoint, being an entertainment YouTuber that makes viral content 
isn't sustainable for most people without brand deals at all. And that's not including the cost some of these viral content creators put into their content. And most people do not know about that. Most people do not know about that because they're used to, well, how they make content, sit in a bedroom in front of a camera at, or go out and vlog. And that's how they think it works. No, 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 no. You could get a million views on a video and not make $500. I've seen it with my own eyes. I know people who have spent thousands of dollars to make music videos, music videos, and get like a million views and made five, $600. I know big YouTubers, entertainment number YouTubers, people you would know, every 1 million views for them is five, $600, $1,500. That's it. That sounds like a lot of money. If I get a million views, it's going to be somewhere between eight and $12,000. If I get a million views, it's between eight and $12,000. Right now, I think for the year, my channel in ad revenue has done probably something like $34,000 in ad revenue off of 2.6 million views. 2.6 million views. Um, I have like a $15 RPM. I have like a $15 RPM. There's a magic formula that I have not been able to do, but when I get to my peak, my YouTube channel will do this. When I get to my peak, my YouTube channel will be able to get 24,000 views a day, 24,000 a day. Do you know why I want it to get 24,000 per day? Because I know that 24,000 per day, every single day at $15 RPMs, that my channel is making $15 an hour, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, which means that my channel would then be generating $131,400 in ad revenue. Now, that would mean also, by the way, that I'm doing a certain amount of views. That would mean that I'm doing, that probably put me around like something like 14 million views. In fact, let me just run a calculator on that real quick. Uh, 50, like, so let's see, 24,000 times 365. So that would actually put me at something like what? Wait a minute, that can't be right. Yeah, no, that would put me at... Yeah, like 8.7 million views. Yeah, no, that's about right. Yeah, 8.7 million. Yeah, so if I get like 8 to 10 million views, I definitely would be making over 100, $130,000, $150,000 a year off the ads alone. But I already make more than that outside of YouTube. And I did that for a reason because now I don't have to have the pressure to get that kind of views. But if I did, I already know the math on that. Now, compared to a, a creator that's getting much, much less than me because they're an entertainment YouTuber, to be able to um, make like real money in the six figures, they have to get like 100 million views. They have to get like 150 million views. Like it's, it's insane. It's insanity. And that's where the pressure comes from on those uh, creators. And that's why they very much are brand deals, brand deals, brand deals, brand deals, brand deals. Now, there are other niches. Anything that you can tie to business, real estate, finance, careers, um, um, medical, uh, legal, anything professional that you can do, anything affluent, uh, credit cards, anything like that will pay big dollars. It'll pay massive amount of software, tech, 
those things pay much better. Gaming is one of the lower paid niches. Um, yeah. So there's there's a lot that goes on there. What um, there is a question in the live audience. So what then? What do I thought about creator pushing merch on sponsored video? I don't care. They're doing their job. They're doing their job. They're doing their job, and here's the here's the thing. I have a controversial opinion from a viewer perspective. I'm not sympathetic to people complaining about free content, to be very real with you. I'm not that sympathetic to people complaining about free content. You, you, you don't like having a 30 or 60 second sales pitch in a 12 minute video? Cry more. <laughs> They're doing their job. I'm not going to sit there and be hypercritical about that. And then a lot of people, the same people watching free content will complain and tell somebody, well, if it's so hard, go get a real job or something like that. Um, so yeah, Malevolent Elephant is saying, um, he'll clear 150K this year. Congrats, man. Wanna thank you. My first six for your year as a 41 year old black man. Uh, you taught me so much, thought it would never happen. Yeah, no, I mean, facts. Um, I, I, I'm proud of you, man. Really happy for you. That's amazing. I remember when it was when I got my first six-figure year um, a couple of years ago. And so, yeah, it like it makes a difference. It makes a difference. It makes you feel so... And the thing is, you will learn the limitations of that, by the way, but not going to rain on your parade there. It's a great accomplishment. So, yeah. Now, not every niche, even if you classify some niches in entertainment, entertainment doesn't mean low CPM. It just... It's just a matter of what it is. It's just a matter of what it is. There's also seasonality. There's also seasonality. There's also market conditions, right? Some niches do well. Some niches do well during certain times of years. Same thing for the opportunities around brand deals and sponsorship. So um, there's all of these different things. CloverTax says borderline niches are the $5 DVD bargain bin when it comes to AdSense, but there are ways you can get the most out of it. You just got to play the ad policy versus videos context game. Yep. No, I agree with that. Um, so someone in the chat is asking, is it easy to find brand deals with 2000 subs? It depends on your niche. It depends on your niche. And it also depends on your actual plan for approaching brands. I mean, I think that people should focus on building their audience much more. I really do. I really feel like most people should focus on building their audience more, but I will tell you that if you are, if you are looking to do brand deals, well, I guess I'll do um, somewhat of an ad read, but I'll do it for my own product here. Um, so if you're into the idea of wanting to do brand deals as a creator, I actually do have something for you. Um, and right now we are running it uh, in the last month of uh, December only because we will not be discounting in the new year. I do have the brand deals starter kit. And this is something I put together to help content creators earn more with their brand deals. This is $99 right now. There is a promo for it, but only till the end of 2021. So if you're hearing or watching the replay of this and it's no longer 2021, you missed out on it at its lowest, lowest price because uh, we're doing, I believe, a 50% off deal right now and we'll never do it again. 
but uh, so yeah, get it now if you're going to get it cheap, but we do have the brand deal starter kit and it really is it's not a course. It is literally a resource guide and system to help you not only get brand deals, but to help you actually price and charge more for your brand deals. It teaches you how to actually work with talent agencies and PR firms. It gives you a list of the 100 sponsors, 100 plus sponsors that are backing influencers right now. Uh, the influencer pricing guide, we're adding a media kit template. We give you the brand safety guidelines. We give you a resource where we consolidate the disclosures that you need to be able to do that to comply with FTC guidelines, uh, both in the US and in the UK. And we do a whole host of other things there and I'll be adding things to it. So right now there is a link in the description down below and on the show notes of this, if you want to get the brand deals starter kit from awesomecreatoracademy.com. But just remember the discount on this is only until the end of 2021. So if you're hearing this and it's no longer 2021, you missed out on it at the cheapest price possible. So the good news for you is it's $99, but we're giving you a lot more value than that. So there you go. And back to the show. But yeah, with with brand deals, when you have less than like 5,000 followers in a platform, less than 10,000, it's not that you can't. It's that, I'll put it to you like this. Once you set a price, it becomes harder to work your way up from that price. So when you do it very, very, very early, you're going to be charging very, very little. And once you start charging very, very little, it becomes very, very difficult. Oh, sorry. The discount code for that is in the description, by the way. Discount code's in the description. So the, the thing is, once you start charging a low price, if you start really early, it becomes very, very hard to move that price up, you can, and you should, and I teach that to people. But it's hard psychologically for most creators once they set a price on their sponsored content. Once they set a price on their sponsored content, it is very hard for people to work up the courage to raise their prices. And even if they raise their prices, most creators are still underpricing. And you would not believe how many creators I know with a quarter million, half a million, a million subscribers that are underpricing by as low as charging like half of what they should be charging. People are charging half of what they should be charging. I'm not even joking. It's that serious. And so that's why I started teaching this a little bit more aggressively is because I learned most creators have no idea how to negotiate. Most creators are leaving a nine to five job. They never negotiated aggressively for their salary. They never successfully negotiate a raise. They never were able to price themselves. Some of them have never been freelancers and they've only ever done hourly rates. They've never charged for project. And so they don't know how to work as contractors. So they get undermined in negotiations, not because brands are trying to screw them, but because they just don't have the confidence or the education on how to pitch, how to price, and how to package. And so that's why I started building resources around that. So Kepasa MLB, hey, what's up, man? Uh, you changed our lives forever, Roberto. We grew from 5K to 56K in two years following your tips and your content. Thanks so much, man. And we actually, yeah, we did a coaching session together and um, we talked a lot about analytics. Like, I'm really proud to see what they've been able to do with the channel. 
but yeah, brand deals, brand deals are massively difficult for most people to navigate because they just don't have any experience with uh, pricing and you get undermined in negotiation, not because someone's trying to cheat you, but because it's not their business to tell you like, Hey, you should charge more. The person writing the check, you shouldn't be counting on them to say, Hey, you should charge more. It'd be nice for someone to say, oh, you know what? You're pricing too low and here, I'm going to pay you what you work worth. But if you're hoping for that, you're incredibly naive and you probably don't have what it takes to be an entrepreneur if that's what you believe needs to happen or what you're hoping will happen. No, 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 my friend. They are obliged to save money in their pocketbook. They're obliged to save the client budget or they're obliged to save their own budget for their family or for their business or do whatever. It's your responsibility to charge what you're worth. It's not their responsibility to tell you to charge more if they're writing you a check. So you have to be able, they're not trying to necessarily screw you. It's that you need to have the confidence to price right. And you need to have the education to know what you're worth. And if you don't know what you're worth and you don't know how to price, it's your responsibility to learn. And if you have to do something about that, you have to go to a workshop, you have to hire a coach, you have to go to a course, you have to buy a resource, you have to, whatever you have to do, it's your responsibility to learn how to negotiate and how to price yourself. It's not someone else's responsibility who's writing you a check to just give you more just to give you more. So Gord, hey, what's up, buddy? Do you think that the ads going on on non-YouTube partner program channel content over the last year has resulted in material changes in how the algorithm is working, organic reach or impact? No, no. In my video about this with YouTube putting... um ads on non-monetized channels. Everyone thinks that this was one more way of them um, crapping on smaller YouTubers. And I understand why it feels that way. I understand why it feels that way. So I'll tell you my conspiracy theory. My conspiracy theory, because of the timing and because of things I know, and because of the timing, it was because of cancel culture. <laughs> and I know that that's a hot take for people, but hear me out. YouTube's right to monetize policy is literally going to make the millions upon millions of dollars from now on, not because of small YouTubers, because I'll tell you a stat you don't know. 90% of all traffic, 90% of all the views on YouTube only go to the top 3% of channels. 90% of all the views on YouTube only go to the top 3% of channels, which means 90% of content creators are fighting over the scraps of the last 10% of all the views on YouTube. That's it. That's it. You think that it's disproportionate with the top 10% owning the stock market? No, 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 my friends. And see, this is why that's a natural occurring phenomenon because it's like it's YouTube and it's the stock market. YouTube works exactly like the stock market from my perspective. That's a naturally occurring phenomenon. That's That seems to be um, the circle of life, so to speak, right? And, and I know people may not be thrilled about that or they might think that I'm like, um, too happy or excited about that. I'm happy about understanding it and that my theory was correct. So I'm just happy about being right. Even when being right has a terrible outcome, I apparently care more about being right than anything else. <laughs> and I'm being a little bit facetious, but it's to make a point here. So my conspiracy theory is this, knowing that 90% of all YouTube views are consolidated against a handful comparatively, a comparatively a handful. It's actually literally tens of thousands of channels, but uh, compared to the millions of channels they exist. But <clears throat> like since it's consolidated around the top 3%, well, that means that there's not even collectively the amount of money you could make off of small YouTubers monetizing their videos is not even close. 
That's just collateral damage. The real goal here is that when they have to demonetize a big YouTuber because of a scandal temporarily for 90 days or a year or indefinitely, you think of scandals like uh, what happened with Shane, Jawson, Shane, ah, Shane Dawson, David Dobrik, um, Jeffree Star, James Charles, people like that um, getting suspended for 30 or 90 days. Well, when YouTube has to suspend their ad revenue to make it feel like, okay, we punish them. Well, YouTube only gets paid if there are ads running on their channel. So when they were demonetizing them temporarily, it meant that there were no ads on the channel, which means YouTube was losing millions of dollars, millions of dollars in the space of these windows of time where they demonetize these creators. Um, sometimes as much as say like 3 million in a, in a single month. If you're YouTube and big creators with scandals could cost you tens of millions of dollars per month because you have to punish them in some way or they break the rules, whatever it is, then here's your answer and your solution. Because you're already splitting monetization 50-50 with, well, 55-45 with them. What if you have a policy called the right to monetize? What if you have a policy where you have the right, and again, allegedly, allegedly, this is my quote unquote conspiracy theory. So imagine instead of losing money, when you have to demonetize and slap one of your big talents on the risk, when, um, you know, Dobrik or the Paul brothers are up to shenanigans, um, well, what do you do? Do you lose $10 million in a 90-day window? Oh, no, 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 no. You create the right to monetize policy, and now you can run ads and not even have to split the money. You can run ads and not even have to split the money. So now instead of getting 45% of zero, you're getting 100% of all of it. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. And so I, I, I respect the hustle. I respect the hustle. It's like, okay, I see what's happening here. That's why, again, when small YouTubers thought this was about them, I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. I can do math. No, 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 no. I can connect the dots. I see what's happening here. I see what's happening here. Because, again, why? Like, think about it. Collectively, you don't make that much money. Even collectively, off of all small YouTubers, it would never add up to just one of these creators. It's not even close. Just because of the difference in traffic that we're talking, it's not even close. The opportunity to take 100% though, well, that's too good. Like, that's, so again, that's how I see it. That's my conspiracy theory. That's my conspiracy theory. So I would like, I don't think that it's gonna massively change the algorithm. I don't think that it, um, like, I don't think that's even about small YouTubers. I know from a small YouTuber perspective, it's like, oh, this is so discouraging. And oh, they'll just take AdSense away altogether at some point or whatever. No, I look at it and I go, well, wait. If I stand to lose millions on my biggest top tier talent screwing up and getting bad PR and I got to punish them, I got to slap on the wrist, why lose money? Why lose money in the process? Why not? Their loss is my gain on that one. I'll run ads anyway and just release a press release that says that uh, we uh, we demonetize them. But if you see ads, well, we have this thing called the right to monetize, so we're still making money. <clears throat> no, the 90% uh, Gord, the 90% of views go to the top 3% channels has been consistent for years. That's how it's been for years. That's how it's been for years. 
So uh, Indiana says, um, also you mentioned in a previous live streams to admit our vices. I called myself turning my vice wine into a skill and hobby. I'm still going, but I'm apprehensive now thinking about a new niche already. No, I can see that. Sometimes people do turn their um, their vices into their content um, and that happens. So, uh, but kudos to you for recognizing it. Um, Gord, a lot of people, a lot of educators are familiar with, um, and many have had views, subs, growth drop below pre-COVID levels. Do you have a perspective on that? Well, COVID gave everyone an artificial bump to begin with because of people being at home. But also, <clears throat> the current economic crisis would definitely mean that people also have um, frankly, when people have less disposable money, they also have less disposable time. The pandemic and COVID, there was a lot of cash relief efforts. There were a lot of other things going on. So you had <clears throat> a little bit of a COVID bump. You also had new, um, act, new people acclimated to things. If anything has shifted the algorithm, it's YouTube shorts. If anything has shifted the algorithm, it's YouTube shorts. Because now it's changing viewing patterns because it's changing previous watch history and then what's promoted. So, um, yeah. If anything is changing anything, it's YouTube Shorts. I mean, if you want an example of that, masters of long-form content, Colin and Samir, they were doing great. They were crushing it. But when they pivoted to doing YouTube Shorts, they blew up. <laughs> um, thank you. Um, when uh, Chris Doe, Chris Doe was already crushing it, but when they introduced YouTube Shorts and started dominating on YouTube Shorts, they blew up even more with Chris Doe with the future. So um, the, um, yeah, YouTube Shorts is the thing that's changing everything. And it's not necessarily an algorithm shift as much as a culture shift. Uh, Melly Sinka, hey, what's up, Melly? Really appreciate all your support. You're a total sweetheart. Um, nothing to do with what you're currently talking about, but I like the color of your shirt. Yeah, I like this too. I broke this out of the closet um, a little bit. Over the weekend, I re was wearing my maroon one. I like uh, these two colors. These are kind of my holiday colors, but I do like uh, what they're doing with my palette, so I like that. Gord says, greatly appreciate your insights. Shifted my first short, so I guess it's good to dive into them. Do you think you can do a tutorial on shorts? I'll try. Uh, we're still experimenting with uh, shorts. I'm actually going to be making a shorts channel. I'm going to be doing two things that are a little extreme in 2022. We'll try to do the podcast Monday through Friday in 2022. We'll try and do the podcast, uh, excuse me, Monday through Friday. We're going to literally try to just do the podcast Monday through Friday. It will not always be a midnight run like this, but we will try to do the podcast Monday through Friday. And so that will be part of the new normal. The other thing is I'm having content edited down from my regular content for a shorts channel. And so we're going to ultimately do a um, shorts channel for me to test shorts. And then we'll eventually possibly introduce it into my main channel. But that, you know, might be different that might well so we're gonna see how it goes okay pasa llb says 
The amount of subs is irrelevant in many cases for brand deals. I know that my a channel with 9.3K subs and they have over nine deals now, including Goya, Subway, and Publix. Yeah, like a lot of you are too worried about subs. That's part of why I made the brand deal starter kit. A lot of you worry too much about subs. And in that, I break down and give you a guide to what brands actually want and why and how to package and pitch. It matters a lot. Um, interesting question. Uh, tape training system says, what does YouTube look like in web 3.0 with regard to the rise of the metaverse? Eventually layered content. YouTube has already experimented with VR content in the past. So I imagine that there's a future in YouTube that is, um, VR, some AR, le uh, layering elements. I also anticipate, um, in the future, this will be further along, but I believe, um, dynamic serving content. I'm making a video about my YouTube predictions, by the way, before the end of the year. So I have YouTube predictions coming up before the end of the year um, for 2022. I have um, YouTube predictions, social media predictions, and metaverse predictions all coming out um, toward the end of the year. And so here's my thoughts on that. Here's my thoughts. Eventually, not for 2022, but maybe before 2025, I was talking with Nick Nimmin on a different episode of the podcast. Watch the episode of the podcast about the WhatsApp scams, and me and Nick Nimmin talk a lot about this, but I believe there will be a point where you'll get uh, dynamic serving thumbnails that will adapt to your audiences, and, uh, and so you'll be able to have multiple thumbnails. I believe that eventually YouTube will be able to translate your thumbnails to if you have words in your thumbnails, they'll be able to translate them to the language people speaks. And I believe that YouTube will have virtual AI dubbing options. Basically like Netflix, they'll have a virtual AI dubbing option where they can dub your content uh, to match whatever language someone needs to hear it in by 2025 or 2030. So those are like 2025 to 2030. I believe that these things happen. Thumbnails is easier. Dynamic serving thumbnails is easier. The OCR technology on the thumbnails that could come later. The dynamic serving um, AI based audio dubbing, definitely by 2030, I believe in that for sure. Um, so I believe in that. I believe AI closed captioning will get better over the next two to three years. We won't even need um, third party services. YouTube's AI will just get better at that. Um, so I definitely believe in that. I believe we'll also end up getting better editing tools to be able to edit our content, but not in a misleading way, but be able to do more with it. Um, by 2025, I believe that if you need to, you'll be able to do things like if your music gets claimed or copyrighted, you'll be able to strip that part out with and still keep your voice in there, even in um even if you already uploaded it i believe you'll be able to edit that out without ruining your voice content it by 2030 2025 2030 something like that i believe more monetization options will open up on youtube too gordax how often do you think you should publish shorts acts because i'm just healthy enough now to do regular videos one per week it, thinking of doing shorts on your channel like maybe just do one short a week to see if you even like it or see how it performs and then go from there so like just do a couple of them and see how it goes shorts have not worked as well on the main channel they've worked all right on my other channels my other channels uh shorts have worked out all right 
but we're going to experiment with it. We're going to do a hundred shorts next year. We're going to do a hundred YouTube shorts. They just won't necessarily be on my main channel. We're going to do a hundred YouTube shorts on a shorts channel. We're going to do a hundred episodes of the podcast or more next year. That's the goal. So we're just um, going to do a um, hundred of each content format. Um, it's technically, technically, if you make it a company, you can sell a company and a YouTube channel could be an asset owned by the company. So you could do that. You're asking, can you sell a YouTube channel? I mean, you could technically sell a YouTube channel if it's an asset owned by a company and then you sell that company. But it's not that useful to sell YouTube content unless it's a, a, to sell a YouTube channel unless it's a faceless YouTube channel. If it's not a faceless YouTube channel, selling it isn't really that useful. A lot of people don't, don't think that through. Yeah, um, keeping the voice and deleting the background audio, I think that that's like a couple of years out. I think that's somewhere between five to 10 years out. Um, I don't know if I'll be doing any type of um, comparison or review of the research feature versus TubeBuddy. I might though. I might. We'll see how I feel about it. Um, Doc Do It, Doc Do It says, question, what are the top three platforms to promote your YouTube content outside of YouTube? So here's a common mistake. People think that driving traffic by promoting their content outside of YouTube is what I'm talking about when I talk about promoting. I'm, I think you should think about what three platforms are best to connect with your audience outside of YouTube or your desired audience. What three platforms make you part of the community aside from YouTube? What three social media platforms would make you part of your broader, the broader community of people that you talk to or want to talk to outside of YouTube. And so for me, I think obviously every YouTuber should be on Twitter, though kind of not because I mean, you could also be on Twitter and then you could either get harassed or canceled. So there's that, yay. Um, TikTok is good for going viral and getting awareness and then people find out you're a YouTuber because they'll check. So that could be good. And then having a deep emotional connection with your audience, I find around your lifestyle and who you are as a person that Instagram is good for that. So the thing is, I believe in using the other platforms holistically. I don't believe in using them to drive traffic to YouTube as much as I believe in using them to become closer to your audience and to build a better, deeper ecosystem. So there's that. Um, I am on Twitch. I haven't done a lot with it lately. I plan to do that. What event am I planning to be soon? Um, social Media Marketing World. I'll be at Social Media Marketing World 2022. Thoughts on AI writing YouTube scripts. I actually am making a video about this. I'm looking for AI things to test against YouTube. I think it's interesting. I don't think it's to the point to where it can truly, truly be competitive with a human, but it can inspire you. So... I'm really interested in it. I actually want to do a video about it. I don't even know if it'll be a main channel video. It might be a podcast. I could end up like Ethan from H3 and I could just end up 
going all in on my podcast more and liking that more. And uh, like, I don't think I'll ever abandon my main channel, but I could see myself going all in on this podcast more. And I think that's what will happen. I think I'll end up doing two videos a week on my main channel in 2022. I'll end up doing two videos a week, sometimes three. And then what will end up happening is I'll end up doing the podcast almost every day. Um, have I noticed live stream recordings negatively affecting traffic on my uh, other videos? Back in the old days, I would have said yes. Nowadays, not really. <clears throat> we'll love um, one of your videos talking about differences between YouTube and Twitch monetization. Yep, I plan to do that. Can you make it on only YouTube without other social media accounts? Uh, her healthy home. You can, most YouTubers kind of do, but it's a liability because there's a lot of reasons that you could uh, end up not having access to your YouTube audience. I understand people being worried about stretch thin and burning out, but like relying on YouTube is a liability. Relying on YouTube is a liability. Honestly, I want to get to 100,000 followers in Twitter so that I never lose access to a good chunk of my audience. And if I had to start over, it's a lot easier. My email list is 14,000. I want to get that close to 50,000 next year if I can. Um, definitely want to get to 100,000 and have access to 100,000 of my own audience uh, without relying on YouTube at all. Would So I want, I want uh, to get to... 50 to 100,000 in all of my other platforms and get my secondary channels all to at least 10,000 to make sure that I'm not, uh, that my main channel doesn't fe ever feel like it's a crutch. And I think that in general, YouTube becomes a crutch, which is why, yeah, I am going to do stuff with Twitch. Yeah, I am going to do stuff with TikTok. Yes, I am focusing a lot more on my Instagram and want to get to 50K. It's currently at 23K. I do not want to be beholden to YouTube indefinitely over the next 10 years of my career. I've given a lot of focus over the last 10 years or so to my YouTube channel um, and to YouTube as a platform. I now want to diversify. I want to go hard on Spotify. I want to go hard on Instagram and TikTok with uh, Reels and with um, TikTok content and then even YouTube Shorts. I want to um, not be over leveraged in YouTube. It's uh, my, my career portfolio is over leveraged in YouTube. If I have my way, it'll go more like 40 or 50% YouTube, kind of like how Warren Buffett's portfolio is 40% or more Apple. I'll go 40, 40, 45% YouTube. Then after that, I think the platform that makes sense for me to uh, be bigger in beyond YouTube is probably like, Instagram, Spotify video as they roll it out. So definitely lean more into the podcast. Um, go hard on like Instagram's gonna be monetizing close to a parody of what YouTube is. So I think Instagram and then like and like definitely Twitter, even though it's not monetizable in the same way. So I think I I think for me, I'd want to split my portfolio like if I was going to collectively have a million followers, I would cap where I am at YouTube as far as like, I don't want to go too much further there. Um, I mean, I can and I will, but like, I'd want to know that I have a strong audience in Twitter and Instagram because of the communication tools in those platforms. Um, that would be more valuable to me than TikTok even. Even though TikTok is clout, I don't care. And it's not usually my demographic. I need an I need and want and desire an older audience, not a younger audience. 
um even though the the growth vertical is in the in the younger audience it's just there's not a compatible psychology and maturity there um no offense to any young people it's just that people will grow into my content they will inevitably people the one thing that's for sure is people get older and the thing is the older you get the more palatable my content becomes um so you know so i believe in that uh why is kelly stamps channel dying kelly stamps channel isn't dying see that's the thing um that's a misnomer just because something is not getting the growth it was getting or having the momentum it was having doesn't mean that it's not growing so people like sorry that's that doesn't mean it's dying people have this if it's not growing it's <clears throat> dying kind of thing there are youtuber life cycles and there are trend life cycles and the thing is kelly stamps is doing fine um but also she's like she said it herself she's losing some motivation that will be reflected in your content and then you can get a second wind and so she's getting a third of reviews because well she's not she's not in the same place she was when she was trying like you see what i'm saying there's a difference between there's a difference between when you're like really going hard right because someone can make that argument about me by the way someone can make that argument about me very very easily except for one little one little thing i'm making more money than i've ever made that and uh i'm back here and like i'm grinding the podcast channel and i'm grinding the music channel and i'm crushing it on the podcast and on the music channel so the thing is i don't know what kelly is doing outside of her main channel that we may not see behind the scenes but i do know that in her situation it's easy to get burned out and so the thing is I think when you burn out, sometimes it's an energy and motivation aspect of being reflected in how you approach content. I know it's definitely been that way for me. She still cares, but it's like there's 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 grind mode and then there's not. Like, so she's fine. And her channel will like there'll be another season where Kelly Stamps like just starts blowing up again and popping off and it'll be great. And people will be like, oh, she's back or whatever. But that's just a perception thing from an outside view versus what's happening internally behind the scenes. I don't believe as much in audience fatigue as other people do, because here's the thing. I know analytics. I know that that's not real. Like, I mean, it's kind of real. It's more real if you're a small channel. But like, but the reality is that like I've had cycles and seasons of my channel growth and like COVID is a different animal. And the thing is also with Kelly's content, there's a, a shift where people were when she was in. So like Kelly blew up really during the pandemic a lot. We're in a place where if you want to talk about audience fatigue, it's not fatigue with the YouTubers as much as it's fatigue with life right now. Right now, people are just mentally and emotionally in a completely different place and content doesn't hit them the same way. And I don't think it's I don't think it's audience fatigue, or I don't think it's anything she's doing differently besides internal motivation stuff. But I will say this for a lot of content creators, they're gonna have to readapt to what a like long COVID culture is. 
like, because here's the thing. I don't really believe in audience fatigue because analytically and anecdotally, YouTube mostly will be showing your content. When you're growing, it's that YouTube is showing your content to new people. If you are getting new, higher views, if you're getting more views, it's not because you have subscribers and you have an audience that's then getting tired. It's because YouTube's finding a new audience. That's why I don't believe in audience fatigue. I don't believe in audience fatigue because I don't believe in view to subscriber ratios. And because I know that new growth, new growth means new viewership. It means exposure. So you can't have audience fatigue when growth, and you can't use audience fatigue to explain a lack of growth when it's about resonating with a new group of people. All growth comes from new viewership. All growth on YouTube comes from new viewership, which is why I don't believe in audience fatigue. Virality is about people who've never seen you before. So growth, massive growth, is all about new people and it's all about word of mouth, and it's all about the exposure of your brand. So it's about new market, it's about new market share. It's about new market share. And Kelly's stuff is entertaining enough to where, and there's enough variety of what she does to not really have that issue of audience fatigue. And so there's that. Is Catherine Manning still dominating or has she stunting? Catherine Manning still has a very, very long career as long as she wants one. As long as Catherine wants a long career in YouTube, she'll have one because she's doing YouTube education differently than I've seen almost anybody do it. And she fills a very important gap in the ecosystem. And so I think that Catherine Manning, Nate from Channel Makers, and Ed from Film Booth probably are the... Like, I believe that they're probably the future of the YouTube education niche along with Colin and Samir. Um, in a way that people may not expect because they're making content as YouTube educators, as you, as, as, as YouTubers first and educators second, in my opinion, in my opinion, in my opinion, Catherine Manning, Ed from film booth and Nate from channel makers and Colin and Samir are making YouTube education content, but they're making it as YouTubers first with an idea of what is attractive to an audience, even if that audience doesn't become a YouTube creator, the content is still entertaining enough in and of itself and interesting enough in and of itself. Yeah, also I think there's enough of an audience for Catherine's vlogs, I, I 100%. Celeb astrology, you had uh, videos going from uh, 10K to 20K views, and now you get um, um, what, 100 to 200? 100 to 200K? 100 to 200K? Or, yeah. Like, I believe that creators need to also consider like the culture of what's happening in the ecosystem and what's happening in the world and what's happening at a moment in time in terms of cultural relevance to the psychology of their viewers and the psychology of the, um, of the people who would watch their content and realize that that plays a role. And it's not just about your content. It's about, well, what is the person watching your content going through today? And I think when you think about that, it just hits differently. Um, 
I see what happened. You took a break for three months, and I think it plummeted your channel. When you take long breaks, it is rough, and I think that YouTube Shorts made it rougher. You thought your viral carrot content would carry it through and continue to grow? Viral videos cannot necessarily carry a channel. But the thing is, you have the capacity to make viral videos. You have the capacity to make videos that make 10 and 20K and 30K views. So that means you can, as long as you just keep making videos, your your channel can come back to where it was. As long, But you'll have to, but it might take a minute. It might take a good minute. It might take a good minute. Um, but your channel can come back to where it was. I mean, the same is true for my channel when I took my long break to move into this house. I took a 50-day break from uploading, but I think it'll be fine as long as I upload two videos a week, I'll be fine. As long as I upload two videos a week uh, going forward from now until from this week all the way through 2020, as long as I upload two videos a week, my channel will have a new renaissance. Oh, you're still in your first year of creating? Oh, then don't worry about it. If you're still in your first year of creating, just make 100 videos. You'll be fine. Make a hundred videos, you'll be fine. I'm not even joking. Make a hundred good videos, mind you, but you'll be fine. <clears throat> Switch Corner says, I'm not sure I will ever go viral at this point. Kind of given up on that. I don't worry as much about um I don't worry as much about going viral. I worry about uh, just being consistent. That's how it's always worked for me. And Twitch Corner with your content, I think that consistency is just what'll win. But yeah. <clears throat> Nice. Nice. Uh, do other platforms convert subscribers to paying customers at a higher rate than YouTube? I believe that many podcasts absolutely do, especially if you look at something like my friend Pat Flynn, Smart Passive Income podcast, a lot of real estate podcasts do, a lot of personal finance um, podcasts do. Facebook has always been good for that, to be very real with you. Instagram has always been good for that. But I don't know if it's at a higher rate. I think it's different for different niches. And I think it's different based on the content creator and their abilities. <clears throat> yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, everyone, I believe that that is going to be it uh, for this episode of the podcast. I guess the last thing I'll leave you with as uh, words of wisdom with regard to YouTube is enjoy being a smaller content creator and don't put pressure on yourself as early in your career. You take it seriously, but at the same time, try to enjoy the journey. Really think about the fact that you have a five to 10 year career to look forward to and really pace yourself for that career. I think that uh, because of COVID, in a weird way, it's changed a lot of my plans. Um, I think it's dramatically changed my plans in the direction of my channel. And it's uh, in a way that I didn't anticipate as much. But it also, at the same time, the good news is 
it's probably going to end up shifting a stronger priority to me to uh, my secondary content. And I think it's actually going to be healthier for me than trying to pursue, like, I would rather be consistent on my main channel, uh, create great educational content and resources on my main channel, convert more people from my channel to paying customers and to deep members of my community. And I think the content that I'm going to enjoy making the most is going to be just doing this podcast and just talking with my community and growing this audience here to uh, 10,000, 20,000. Hell, why not 100,000? Why not turn the podcast into a 100,000 channel? So I think that that's doable, believe it or not, with your help, as long as you guys are sharing, engaging, communicating, smashing the like button and coming back to the program, I think that Maybe in a couple of years, we'll look back and this will be a 100,000 subscriber channel in maybe another three years. Um, and I think I'll continue to enjoy it. I like the community aspect. Community is what allowed me to be a daily content creator for like two and a half years back in the day. Maybe it's what will bring me back to that kind of grind here without it feeling like a grind. Because I'll tell you, the thing that I looked forward to today more than anything probably was doing the podcast, honestly. I would say that out of everything today, that I look forward to. And today was not a good day for me, by the way. In the real world, today was not a good day for me today. It was a frustrating day um, or with uh, Comcast and Xfinity. Um, and I wasted like five hours and was very frustrated by the end of it. But the podcast was the thing I was looking forward to the most today. <clears throat> so I made a priority, even if I had to do it later in the evening after taking a nap, I made it a priority. I was like, I am doing the podcast today, Monday through Friday, let's go. So I decided I'm doing the podcast and here we are back at it again. Um, I did 10 episodes in a row, got some real consistency in and like felt really good about it. So here we are. We're going to go Monday through Friday. Um, and that's how I'm going to do it from now on. And so I just feel very strongly about growing this podcast. I think it's the thing I look forward to. And as long as I enjoy it, I'll be able to be consistent. Main channel. I still like doing videos for the main channel, but I don't feel the same way about it as I used to. And that's fine. It's been almost a decade. The podcast is the thing that feels fresh and feels exciting and feels deeply rooted in community. And I look forward to talking to you and answering your questions. So for me, I just feel like I like, I mean, it's so awkward because I know everyone aspires to be a big YouTuber. I like the intimacy and community of my smaller channels more. I like being able to know that I can respond to every comment. I like being able to know that like, um, that there's like just a stronger community um, and people don't get lost in the weeds as much. And I feel right up until 250,000 subscribers, I had that a lot more. So that's something that uh, just makes me feel a lot better. So actually in a weird way, also the thing is it's still exciting on this channel, on the podcast channel and on my music channel, it's still exciting to see how videos perform. It's still exciting. And I get, a, I get a rush out of seeing a video hit 500 views again. And that just feels different. Like when I'm like excited about 500, being excited about 500 views and knowing that I can probably, oh, excuse me, getting excited about 500 views and knowing that I could probably name 30 of the people who I know watch the video feels really good. Like I can't really describe Maybe actually I don't have to, because I think if any of you are small YouTubers, you understand that feeling probably better. You understand that feeling. And the thing is, I didn't really keep track of my main YouTube channel 
the on my grind from like zero to 10,000, I didn't really pay attention to the growth and I didn't really think about it. I didn't bother to taste because I was like working so hard as a full-time freelancer and my YouTube was part-time and it was exciting. It was fun, but it's like, I didn't measure the growth. I didn't think about it. I thought that it was slow growth. It turns out it was fast growth. Uh, I didn't understand what I was doing so well, which is why I didn't really start explaining anything I was doing until I had like 30, 50,000 subscribers. I didn't tell people how to grow a YouTube channel until I had like 20, 30,000 plus subscribers. Like a lot of people, they start telling people how to do YouTube at like a thousand or 10,000 subscribers. And there's nothing wrong with that, I guess. But I didn't tell anybody how to do anything on YouTube until I had like 20,000 plus subscribers. Um, and I didn't really start talking about it until I had over a hundred thousand. So to be back again in the trenches and be excited about 500 views, be excited about just breaking a thousand views on a video again, it feels different. I will be honest. It feels different. It hits different um, to be excited about starting over. I think most content creators hate starting over. They agonize over it. They're frustrated by it. I think they hate it. I actually like it. I actually like it. I like feeling less pressured. I like celebrating a small win. I like feeling closer to what I'm doing. Um, and the thing is, I'm kind of doing it the way that a small YouTuber might do it because I've been making all my YouTube thumbnails for the podcast in Canva, just like you guys do. I've been using what's like a free software and I've been tasting what it's like to do that as a small YouTuber. I'm using StreamYard, link in the description, by the way. Like I'm using StreamYard. Any of you guys could be using StreamYard free or one of the cheap paid plans. Um, yes, I'm using a fancy camera, but you could be using um, a webcam. You could even be using like an Elgato. This thing like is 200 bucks and it would give you the same look that I've got going here. Um, you know, these lights are Elgato lights too. It doesn't have to be wildly expensive. So it's like, I'm doing this podcast the way that theoretically a small YouTuber could do this podcast that I'm doing with Elgato gear on a budget and Canva and um and basic things streamyard canva all that epidemic sound all of that stuff so like i'm doing i'm doing the way that i'm doing this is closer to what the average like content creator is doing so it actually also makes me more grounded it makes me understand what the small youtuber experience is in a way that most content creators are not willing to go back in time and just start over um if they do another channel, they'll do everything to pump their new channel to like 10,000, 100,000 subs with no content before they're ready to do content because before they even post content, just so they can feel like they have an audience. They're not willing to build and grow all over again. And I kind of like starting over and tasting it and knowing that it's like, okay, like I can like do, and I can do different content. I mean, the music channel is a good example of this. The music channel is a good example of this. See, on the music channel, I'm not using Canva. In the music channel, I am like sourcing art and hiring artists and I'm doing all kinds of craziness over there. Hiring ghost producers, but doing all the design work, doing the After Effects animation, doing all that stuff from scratch. So like on the music channel, I'm out there and now I've been pumping for the last couple of days. I've pumped like five videos in a row on the music channel. Like I've been grinding. I've been a beast. I may not have been uploading to my main channel, but I've been a beast. Like, so like, it's been really cool to also see that grow as well. And so I'm going to go hard on all of these things in 2022. And I think because 
of doing the podcast and the music channel, I think it's going to be the reason I don't burn out because I feel like just starting something different, tasting it again, and like being excited about 500 views on a video, being excited about seeing another 100 subscribers. It's the thing that will make sure that I can still love YouTube years from now. So that's something to think about. Uh, last question is, are you going to do a video about your goals for next year? That will be an episode of the podcast. So with that, let's go ahead and close up the podcast. Then we'll do for the live viewers, we'll do a little bit of Q&A. If you're watching the replay or you're listening to the audio version, you definitely want to subscribe on the YouTube channel and hit notifications so that you will know when I'm going live, even if it's in the dead of night. And you will want to follow me on Twitter at Roberto Blake. So you also get those updates. This has been another episode. We will catch you tomorrow. Stay tuned and stay awesome. This episode has ended, but your creative journey continues. Visit createsomethingawesometoday.com and access all links and resources mentioned in today's show, all designed to help you create something awesome today.